All right, let's get it started on a Friday. Sportsnet Today coming at you live from the Sportsnet 960 downtown studios in beautiful, sunny Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Logan Gordon along with you for the next hour. I'll join Pat Steinberg for Flames Talk from 3 to 5 before a action-packed night of live sports on your radio tonight. First up, how about the Jays and the Orioles once again? A bullpen day for Toronto, who sits at 81-63, and 63, with Trevor Richards getting the start. The Orioles still not out of this conversation in the AL wildcard. They are 75-67. and 67. They will start Jordan Lyles on the mound tonight. We'll bring that one to you with Ben Wagner. The voice of the Toronto Blue Jays here on Sportsnet 960, the fan. And then for the first time since, I guess it depends on how you see this one, uh, Patrick Dumas, our outstanding uh, producer today. Uh, is this the first game since the Oilers? First Flames game date since the Oilers series? Or are we going to go all the way back to 2018 and say this is the first Young Stars game? Since 2018. It's the first Flames broadcast since the Game 5 against the Oilers, but it is the first Young Stars broadcast since 2018. Four years ago. The world was so different. Yeah. Remember life pre-COVID and how, uh, how wonderful that was? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good times. Uh, we're back to good times tonight. We do have Calgary Flames hockey on your radio tonight. The Flames Young Stars, the Canucks Young Stars, the Young Stars Classic from Penticton, B.C. Get your coffee on, an 8.30 puck drop. The likes of Jacob Pelche, Connor Zary, Dustin Wolf will uh, try to get uh, the Flames uh, a win in this tournament and uh, kickstart their uh, preseason and uh, training camp hopes before they get set for main camp with the Calgary Flames. So the first of three games coming your way starts tonight with the uh, Flames and the Canucks from Penticton. Add on to that a busy weekend in football as well. We've got the Stamps and the Lions tomorrow night at McMahon Stadium. And then, of course, NFL Sunday. Uh, so lots to get to on the program today. We're going to go CFL heavy this hour. Uh, we're going to start you off with a live Stamps report going down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline to chat about this massive matchup between the Lions and the Stampeders. Uh, you know him, you love him from the big show in the morning. It's our pal, Matty Rose. Matty, good afternoon, pal. How are you? Hi, hello. Doing well. What's going on? Not much, man. Uh, looking forward to this one tomorrow, the first of a really important home-and-home home between the Lions and the Stamps. Big one, yeah. Basically, uh, second place in the division, up for grabs. Whoever wants to go and take it, it's obviously got a little bit of a a different view sans Nathan Rourke, who was really the story of the BC Lions 41 to 40 come from behind win at McMahon when the last time these two teams played. But uh, this one, this one still has a lot of intrigue. You know, Jake Mayer's got a lot on his plate here trying to, um, you know, only has what, six starts under his belt. And then we're kind of putting a lot on him here to not only have success for the rest of the regular season, but maybe even, more than that, when you kind of look at the lay of the land in the league, uh, obviously this team hasn't won against Winnipeg yet, but you got to feel really good about yourself if you can get that home playoff date um, in the first round. And then if you can get past Winnipeg in the second round, 
anything can happen from there. So I think that this is a really big one for the Stampeders as far as solidifying that playoff position for them, trying to move up the ladder a little bit. And uh, like you mentioned, it's a home-and-home, home, so you play here, you get a game in BC late season, and granted we're having some pretty good weather right now, but it never hurts to play indoors in BC late in the season. And then it'll be a couple against Edmonton, sandwiched around a bye week, two more games against the Rough Riders, and playoffs are right around the corner. Let's start uh, by looking ahead to this matchup with the death charts uh, coming out uh, for the Calgary Stampeders. Some important changes to note uh, ahead of tomorrow's game at McMahon. And uh, I I think you probably agree with me, Matt. The biggest one is the return of number 51, Sean McEwen. Uh, He's really been the anchor of that offensive line. Uh, I do want to give a shout out. I'm sure you agree, too, that Bryce Bell did a a tremendous job stepping in for him. But Sean McEwen is good to go for the Stampeders ahead of tomorrow. Yeah, he is. He's back at center. Uh, I had a quick interview with him today. He said, of all of the weeks, the last couple were the hardest because he felt, you know, being a big, tough lineman, that he probably could have played. But at the, you know, kind of behest of the medical staff, they held him out for a little while longer. Obviously, it was against the Elks, and the Stampeders got a couple of wins, so you like to see it in that sense. But Sean McEwen chomping at the bit. It is the day of the Dino game. They're celebrating their partnership with the UFC Dinos, so fitting that McEwen returns for this one as well. Listen, it's a it's a big boost. This is a guy who, like Dave Dickinson mentioned today, probably their highest-paid offensive lineman, a guy who is a perennial, most outstanding offensive lineman nominee. Uh, he is your center. He's a national, so that always helps. He's, he's a massive boost, but it's not to say that Bryce Bell – struggled when he was in there you know it was another thing I kind of talked to Sean about a little bit today like I had initially thought when McEwen went down that maybe Sevier would move over um, probably more so than Williams but Bryce Bell fires right into the center position they keep as much continuity on their offensive line as they can and off they went with it I thought Bryce did a, a really strong job for those few weeks and and the other thing about him is you know, he'll, he'll be back. He's, he's just going to be a backup guard. You're going to see him in all the jumbo packages. Uh, he's a guy that I think is still going to be pretty relevant as uh, we watch the rest of the season play out, even if everybody stays healthy for the rest of the year. He's a good offensive lineman, and Stamps quite like to run a, a jumbo package where they bring in Will Longley and they bring in Bryce Bell and feel like they can really give Kadeem Carey some good support in a package like that. Or they're pretty content with throwing three receivers downfield or even Will Langley as a fourth and and just giving a little bit of extra protection for passing plays in in those jumbo packs as well. So uh, they got options on the offensive line now. Some very key experience for Bryce Bell. He's a former high pick of the team, and this just being his second year in the league, some very valuable time for him. Like He got to face the Blue Bombers, and I thought it was a game where you know both he and – uh, Coker on the tackle there, who was filling in for Julian Good Jones, both had their issues with that vaunted Bombers defensive line. But also, you know, good experience, something that he has under his belt. If come around for that big game that I was just talking about in the playoffs, if you happen to get there, you know, he's got a little bit of an idea as to what it's going to be like. And I'm curious, I don't know if you asked him or not when you had this conversation, but. I'm curious about that relationship between him and Jake Mayer. I mean, for most of 
uh, I mean, all of this season, I guess, looking back when that injury happened, Sean's been snapping the ball to, to Bo Levi Mitchell, and we know how important that relationship between center and quarterback can be, not only getting the snap right, Matt, but calling out defenses and calling out protections is something that Sean excels at. Yeah, um, listen, on uh, walkthrough day, the offensive linemen like to play a game of bocce after the walkthrough, and Sean was kind enough to take some time out of the bocce game to come and chat with us uh, in the middle of it. So I, I didn't ask Sean. We were kind of quick with him, but we did ask Jake Mayer about it, and Jake was like – he. <laughs> I kind of asked him about it, and before I could even get the question, I was just like, awesome. He, it was one of those things that, um, like, it, it was the same thing that we just said. Like, almost immediately he was heaping praise on Bryce Bell, but when you have someone like Sean coming in um, with the experience, with the confidence, with just everything that he brings to the table, uh, I think Jake is really excited for this opportunity. You know, it, it's cool because he kind of came up with Bryce Bell a little bit, but now uh, we're going to get to see Jake with the full complement of the offensive line. Good Jones is back on the right side. Derek Dennis has been playing really strong on the left side for quite a while. Sevier and Williams, both good to go. Sevier not even on the injury report after he popped up the week prior, ended up being limited, ended up being playing, but obviously feeling good right now. And they do have that bye coming up in just a couple weeks. The offensive line looks good, and Jake Mayer, now he has an opportunity to play with that group, so that's going to be good. A couple other uh, notes uh, when the depth charts came out that I wanted to chat about you, uh, with you here today, Matt, and that's uh, going to start with Brandon Dozier. Uh, I can't even imagine how Brandon feels this year. It's been such an up and down for him in and out of the lineup and now again ahead of tomorrow's game out of the lineup. Yeah, and listen, he was a guy who is probably going to be a, a big-time special teamer. I think the team really likes what Kobe Williams has kind of done with that Sam linebacker position in the last couple of games. So Dozier was out on special teams, and sure enough, as soon as he got out there, the guy's like a Wolverine. He was just ripping it apart, um, made a couple plays, and then, of course, uh, ends up getting banged up in practice this week. And it's another one where, you know, they first practiced on Tuesday – he was full participant, same with Nick Stats. Wednesday rolls around, closed practice, uh, so you didn't really get to see anything. Uh, and then he just pops up limited. And then Thursday rolls around, Nick Stats also arrives as limited, both with hamstring injuries. So it's unfortunate. It's one of those things that, you know, I don't know if someone put a curse on the secondary for the Stampeders. Dave Dickinson has mentioned the last few weeks. You look at that injury list. First off, the injury list, it's pretty long, but it's Darius Williams, probably done for the year. It's Trey Roberson, maybe not done for the year. Dave Dickinson said he's really hoping he can return this season, but he had a pretty bad injury. Natrell Jamerson might need surgery. Marcellus Branch has had a really bad injury that he's had to deal with. You know, JV and Elliott looks like he's close to returning, and maybe we see the uh, most recent third-round pick, Dimitri Royer, sooner rather than later, but now with Dozier and with Nick Stats going on the one-game injured list, it's it's just been rough for the team. Like They don't even have any defensive backs on their practice roster. Mm-hmm. It's all hands on deck. We got uh, two Australian players on Stampeders roster this week. Bailey Devine-Scott is going to back up Eli Buka at safety, and Divine Scott's played a little bit earlier on. They have had a, a couple Australians on the roster earlier on in the season, too. Uh, you don't see two global players on a lot of rosters these days. I know BC is going to do the same this week, but 
for him to be able to go out there and, and kind of help out in a backup role, he's a pretty aggressive special teamer. Um, but that's where the Stamps are at right now. You know, every year, usually somewhere gets hit for the Stampeders. It's been that secondary. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of the other particulars heading into this game. We're chatting with Matt Rose, our Stampeders insider, and, of course, uh, co-host of the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960, the fan ahead of this game between the Lions and the Stampeders. Uh, it'll be another start for Trey Odom Dukes, uh, Trey Odom's Dukes, excuse me, uh, for the Stampeders out there. Uh, seems like he's made a pretty positive impression on the Stamps. He's obviously getting a bigger role with Kamar Jordan out. Yeah, and he probably will for the foreseeable future, you know. Kamar Jordan placed on the six-game injured list with only six games left in the regular season, and the Stampeders have pulled some guys off earlier than their actual six games this season, something that they are allowed to do. But it does seem like this is going to be something that Trey Odom's Dukes can kind of make his own. And granted, there are some other players that you look at, Luther Acunavanu, Jalen Philpott, that I think are knocking on the door, ready for some opportunity. Richie Sindani is a guy who could certainly, uh, you know, we saw him in the first game of the season, go way over 100 yards. He has what it takes, but injuries really slowed down his season. Odom's Dukes will play a lot. He'll be asked to play a lot. Um, but Bagleton and Henry and, and Phil Plott and Hakuna Vanna will probably be the main guys, especially because Odom's Dukes um, was limited on day one of practice with an ankle injury. He got a little bit banged up in uh, that game against Edmonton, up in Edmonton. So I think he'll still be able to come out and, and you know, go through the full game. Dave Dickinson always talks about you, know, you have to be able to go out and, and do your 60 plays at a minimum, or else you're probably not going to be on the roster. And for him, a young guy coming into the league, getting some opportunity after you know, kind of toiling on the practice roster for a while, this is an opportunity that I think you kind of got to make the best of. And I'm excited to see him get out there and, and maybe get his sea legs under him a little bit more after playing in last week's game and see if he can kind of contribute a little bit more than last game as well. Taking a look at the opponent for the Stampeders, the BC Lions, it's been about a month or so since these two last met, and which was a high-scoring affair at McMahon Stadium, but that's back when Nathan Rourke was still ripping up the league ahead of his Liz Frank injury. Uh, it's now been a bit of a, a quarterback carousel for BC, uh, bringing in Vernon Adams Jr., but starting Antonio Pipkin the last couple of weeks. Now Vernon Adams Jr. gets to hold the reins himself and make his first start as a member of the BC Lions. What have you What have you made of BC so far this season, Matt? Well, they, I thought they were great under Nathan Rourke. You know, I had my questions about Nathan Rourke, even coming into that game that was in Calgary, where he led that incredible come-from-behind win. Uh, BC looked like a much different team. I think they've got probably the best receiving group in the entire CFL, and then when you added it with Rourke and, and just all of the abilities that he had and, and an improved offensive line, things were cooking for BC. But then Rourke got hurt, and now Chung is out, and um, they spent some time without Brian Burnham. And listen, Vernon Adams Jr. is going to come in, and he's had a few weeks to kind of get acclimatized to uh, the new offense with the BC Lions, but he's a completely different quarterback than Nathan Rourke. So, I'm intrigued to see what he can do with this very talented group of receivers as well. But I also think that Vernon's a guy who's been in the league a long time. Dave Dickinson has faced him a lot. He's talked a lot this week about how when Vernon is healthy and feeling quick and, and agile, 
that's when he's playing his absolute best. And Vernon hasn't played a ton this year, so you're probably going to see him quick and agile and ready to go. It's going to be important for guys like Sean Lemon and Falera Narimawade and some of the other defensive ends for the Stampeders to really make sure that you're setting that edge and, and containing Vernon and not letting him get out of the pocket and kind of create with his legs or get the scramble drill going. You know, we just talked about this banged-up secondary, and if you let Vernon Adams run around and some of these talented receivers find open spots downfield, he's going to make you pay for it. So if there's some challenges here with the BC offense for sure. Their defense has been stout all season long too. Uh, they're going to be without Bro for this one. That's certainly a loss. But this is still a really strong defense with a lot of players who have been playing some pretty good football lately. Uh, yeah, the, the Lions are an interesting uh, opponent. I'm curious uh, you know, how important it will be for the Stampeders in your mind to continue what they did against Edmonton and Taylor Cornelius. And by that, I mean obviously pressuring the quarterback. It seemed as though you know some guys were able to turn back the clock. And I think of Sean Lemon and how effective he's been all season long, but especially in these last two games against Edmonton. I would think that's a trend that the Stamps would like to continue in this series against B.C., well, he had two sacks last week, so three multi-sack games in his last four. He's now into his double digits, so he's at 10. Uh, that's number two in the league, and Lemon's up to 88. Like, this is a guy who's 34, and we could see him surpass his career-best total of 14 that he did in 2016 when he was with the Argos. So that in itself is quite impressive. He's a, he's a great player, and... I think that when you have him going and you've got Philander and Milwaukee going, and I think they've found a mix that they really like on the ends with some of their backup guys so they can keep guys fresh, especially if you're going to be spending all game chasing Vernon around. If you can bring in Isaac Adigami Berglund to make it so that Derek Wigan can take a few plays off, or Romeo McKnight and Terrell McLean who have come in and, and performed really well in a few games, if they can come in and spell Mike Rose and spell Sean Lemon to keep those guys as fresh as they can, then, yeah, you do hope that this is a situation where the Stampeders will be able to get after the quarterback. I did mention Chung's going to be out for this one. That's a, a pretty big loss on the interior of their offensive line. So I think that the Stampeders are feeling really confident with their defensive line group right now as far as creating havoc and, and pressuring the quarterback and, and even stopping the run. And why not keep it going against this BC team? You know, Vernon is still just getting used to this offense and some of these offensive linemen. Try and take advantage of that. Keys to success for the Stampeders when you look at this one, Matt. Uh, what, uh, what are they going to need to do well if they want to pick up a win at home on Saturday? I'd say keep the offense nice and balanced. Kadeem Carey has been one of the key cogs to the offense for the Stampeders. Make sure you can keep him involved. And I think that if you can get your run game going, it's a really nice offset for guys like Sean McEwen and Julian Good-Jones, who have been on the six-game injured list lately. If you can get your run game established and have them teeing off on the defensive line rather than dropping back into pass protection all the time because you're constantly in second and long situations or you're chasing the game, then that might not bode as well for some of those guys who might be a little bit banged up. So I would say that's probably a key. Make sure you get that run game going. Reg Bagleton's been a stud. Get him the ball early. Get him involved early. That would be a, a, a key for me and continue to chase Vernon Adams Jr. If you give that group of receivers enough time against any secondary in the league, they're going to hurt you. 
So you really, that, that's going to be a key is making sure that Vernon can't do what some vintage Vernon Adams uh, game like we've seen him do with the Alouettes in years past. Uh, I forgot to ask you earlier when we were going through the depth charts and the back and forth, mm. but uh, has there anybody, I know Sean's kind of been the guy that we've talked about the last couple of weeks that was close to returning. Have there been any other names on that injury list that we should be keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks? J.D. and Elliot is certainly a guy. Okay. Uh, Titus Wall was doing a little bit of light work today. Uh, he hopes to return. And like I did mention, Trey Roberson's another guy that, um, you know, he's talked to Dave Dickinson and, refuses to to say that his season is over. So that's something we continue to monitor. That's probably a little bit more, you know, long-term playoff hopeful, that type of thing. But, you know, maybe a, a few weeks, a month for Titus Wall, which is a good sign for a guy who's been in a, a walking boot for a few weeks now. And, and we might see the debuts of Javian Elliott and Dimitri Royer maybe sooner uh, rather than later. And then the guys on the one game, I'd expect to see them pretty quick back here too. Matt, always appreciate the time, man. Thanks for uh, for doing this. Appreciate it. Enjoy the game on Saturday, and we'll chat with you next week, pal. See you there. Take care. There you go. Matty Rose, our Stampeders insider, and, of course, the co-host of the big show in the morning here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You can find him on Twitter, at Matt Rose, YYC, and uh, Patrick Dumas will bring you in. Uh, to the conversation here ahead of this game Saturday. It's really worked out surprisingly well for the Stampeders, yeah. how Labor Day worked out, and the fact that you got, let's be honest, back-to-back games against a lesser opponent in Edmonton. You took advantage of it, and the team directly below you, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, mm-hmm. got pounded by the Winnipeg <laughs> Blue Bombers last week. They weren't able to pick up a win. You've now got that separation out of the way. Now you can create some separation if you're able to somehow pick up two wins against BC. Yeah, exactly. And like this is this is massive. And we talked you talked about it with Maddie there and getting Sean McEwen, the 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 real heart and center of that offense. And I think him getting involved there, helping out Jake Mayer will make everything seem so much smoother on that side of the ball, I think, going forward for the rest of the year. He's we agree. I think he's one of the best centers in this game, has been for quite some time now. And it's a massive, massive ad for the Stampeders. They were really, you know, they, they didn't lose without them that much, but, you know, outside of the Winnipeg games. But you felt that the offense could have had a little bit more. And I think having a good, strong center that can bark out the calls, that can look out uh, for coverage and whatnot, uh, that can help a quarterback like Jake Mayer, who's still learning, it's big for the Stamps this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be uh, a massive one for them if they can pick up the win at home. And yeah, Vernon Adams, you know, only a couple weeks introduced into that BC lineup. I'm very curious how he's going to look. This is a chance for him to, let's be honest, Patrick, this isn't really an audition for him with the BC Lions. I know that Mm -hmm. they're still hopeful that they can go the distance this year with the roster that they have. But I mean, let's be honest, the Lions, unless something changes dramatically, are going back to Nathan Rourke as soon as he's healthy. Let's let's be honest about that. So for Vernon Adams Jr., Montreal's passed up on you now. They were more than willing to let you go. BC's brought mm-hmm. you in. You're kind of auditioning yourself for a job somewhere else next season. It, it feels like that way. If 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 uh, all things go well with Nathan Rourke, he heals up and and he's back with the BC Lions next year. Or if he, who knows? Like there's there's I don't know of how much the NFL juice is there with the injury, but assuming Nathan Rourke is there next year, yeah, I think Vernon Adams is definitely going to be auditioning what he can do with BC. Try and 
maneuver this ship. They they seemingly had a home playoff game all to themselves, be it the chasing down Winnipeg or that two seed. Now it's you know you're defending off Calgary here, and if you got to come to McMahon for a cold Sunday November, that's not going to bold well. And Vernon Adams is a guy that you know has struggled at times with accuracy in this game, and you know you need your quarterbacks to be on, especially come fall and once the, the you know the, the the weather gets cold and you want the winners. Vernon Adams hasn't showed that yet. He has a good opportunity to, on Saturday to yeah. come into a place like McMahon and really uh, mess up the West Division for Calgary. Yeah, things will certainly get interesting because the Riders have the Elks. They've already won that yeah. twice. Uh, if BC can come out of this, even with a split against Calgary, I think you're probably pretty happy with that and things get a little bit more interesting down the stretch as the Stamps and Riders still have two games to uh, to play this year as well late in the season. Uh, Maddie coming with down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline this afternoon. Uh, it's getting a workout. The CFL Power Hour here on uh, Sportsnet Today continues next uh, because the uh, Lions and Stampeders go Saturday night. That's going to end off the week, but the week actually kicks off tonight from Mosaic Stadium in Regina with the Elks and the Riders. Let's get a look at what exactly is going on with Saskatchewan ahead of this series finale with the Elks. Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post joins us next to preview the Elks and the Riders here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sportsnet Today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960, The Fan, Calgary. Week 15 of the CFL season kicks off tonight from Regina. The series finale between the Edmonton Elks and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Riders started the CFL season a crisp 4-1, and one, but have gone just 2-6 and six in their last eight games, and that includes a four-game losing streak at home, which they will look to snap tonight when they take on Edmonton. Welcome back to Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960, the fan. It's Logan Gordon along with you. And to chat about the uh, Rough Riders and their matchup against the Edmonton Elks, we go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome in Rob Vanstone, who covers the Riders for the Regina Leader Post. Uh, Rob, thanks for doing this today, man. How are you? Uh, good, thanks, Logan. Nice to meet you, sort of. <laughs> yeah, nice to make your acquaintance <laughs> over the phone. Uh, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate this. Uh, well, thanks for yours. Yes, uh, an up and down season so far for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and obviously a, a tough one against the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers last week in the Banjo Bowl. Uh, how is how are they looking ahead of this game against Edmonton? A, a chance for them to bounce back and end that home losing streak. Well, they got the stomach flu over with, or whatever the affliction was that made it virtually impossible to field a, a roster that had a chance of winning in Winnipeg last week. Not that a lot of teams have a chance of winning in Winnipeg anyway, but uh, as decimated as they were by illness, that just exacerbated the challenge facing them. At least this time around, they're not they're not lined up at the in, in, in washroom stalls, at least presumably <laughs> at the stadium. So, I guess that's progress. Um, I mean. They're they're facing a team that they should they should beat rather soundly. Uh, this I think comes at a rather fortuitous time in the schedule for the Rough Riders. They're struggling at home. They're struggling. Period. And as Stampeders fans can attest, it's kind of a tonic when you get a chance to play the uh, Edmonton Elks. So I imagine that'll turn out beneficially for the Rough Riders tonight. And then they have a bye week to further recover from the spate of injuries that they've encountered and maybe savor a victory at home for a change. How would you classify the mood around the team right now? Obviously, you know, a great start to the season, but it's been 
you know, more downs than ups the last couple of weeks for this group? I mean, they've tried to, you know, you know put on a brave face and, 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 you know, portray an air of optimism. That's what all teams do. Uh, I think the sense from the community is, is, is rather different from the, from the feeling around the team or at least the, the vibe that the team is attempting to, to circulate. Uh, I just don't sense any buzz at all about this and then I have to remind myself today that I'm actually going to the stadium site to cover it because there's just there's no buzz about it. It's really a strange pregame vibe, something I'm unaccustomed to. Uh, let's talk about one of the, the big pieces whenever you talk about the Rough Riders team and this version of them at least, and that's Cody Fajardo, the guy behind center. Uh, how would you look back at the season so far for Cody? Well, it has been a great season for him, and I'm not sure how it could be considering that the offensive line is basically constructed of cellophane. And Cody Fajardo's uh, absorbed a lot of hits uh, physically and in terms of uh, uh, disparaging comments about his play. Um, but I'm just not sure what you can realistically expect any quarterback to do behind that offensive line. And and with the paucity of weapons that the team has had at various stages this season, I I think he gets the brunt of it, as quarterbacks always do. They also get a pretty disproportionate share of the salary, so it comes to the territory. But I think his last three games, he's played a lot better than he had uh, previously. It hasn't necessarily been borne out in terms of a lot of touchdowns or even victories. But um, I think you can see Cody Fajardo coming around last Sunday in, in Winnipeg with a depleted offense and with that same offensive line that I've been uh, bemoaning. Um, he, at one point, he was finished 15 for 18. At one point, he was 15 for 16, and the only incompletion was a draw. So... Uh, now, it wasn't an overly aggressive passing attack, but it was one that was rather efficient. And I think you're seeing Cody, people are seeing Cody Pajardo come around to the extent that one can, given the limitations that are placed upon the offense, just simply because of sheer lack of talent on the offensive line. Is there any uh, hope that perhaps, I, I know last week they were dealing with that flu, but any hope at all in your mind, Rob, that at least back-to-back weeks with the same group, the same five starting offensive linemen can perhaps lead to, to better results for them? Maybe, but I mean, this line's off. quoted definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and expecting different results. Yeah. And that's... Uh, that's kind of what you're dealing with with offensive line. They haven't brought in anybody from the any those NFL cuts. There's been nothing trying to change the uh, makeup of that offensive line, and so I think inevitably you're going to have the same results. Now the fact this week might provide a bit of camouflage, might be a bit be a mirage because they're two and zero against Edmonton, who isn't, and they should be able to uh, handle. Um, except for the game in Hamilton. They've got Calgary twice to close out the regular season once more on September 30th. Those are the they're going to need the uh, offensive line to perform at a level that's probably higher than what we've been seeing so far. And I think it's fair to be skeptical about that. Uh, interesting. Your your latest piece on the riders at uh, at the Regina Leader Post was you know uh, a piece backing head coach uh, Craig Dickinson given the cards he's been dealt with this this season. Uh, a similar tone I feel to to what you were mentioning about Cody. Is that is that fair to say that you're kind of in the same boat with both of them? That hey, look, I think they're doing as much as they can given the talent around both of them. Yeah, I think so. that's a summation. Uh, they. Uh... Uh, I think that the, 
if there is a finger to be pointed, it should be pointed squarely at general manager Jeremy O'Day, who the offensive line was a deficiency coming into the season. I mean, it was poor last year. And uh, they allowed 40 sacks in 14 games last year. Well, this year they've allowed they've allowed 13 games. So in Cody Pajardo's first full year in 2019, 37 and 18 games in season, barely two a game. So uh, as a former, especially as a former offensive lineman and as a good one, you think the, uh, the stock and trade the team for which he's manager would be a strong offensive line. And the the opposite has been true. I think they have decent talent everywhere else, but that offensive line has just been terrible. And I think it limits what Cody Pajardo can do. It, I think it limits what offensive. I think we uh, we just lost Rob there. We're going to try to uh, to reconnect with him there and uh, dive back into it. But uh, the article I was mentioning uh, at the Regina Leader Post that he talked about was it was an interesting one because you know from guys that cover the team, you don't I don't want to say that you go out very often and you know say hey, this is a piece that I'm going to use to defend the head coach, and that's what. That's what Rob did in his his latest piece on the Riders, and I think it was an interesting one because I think, uh, you know, a lot of different people that cover teams defend head coaches, defend players, or criticize players in less words, less straightforward words. So I think that to me is the 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 interesting juxtaposition there. And uh, it sounds like we've got Rob back on the line here. Rob, if you could just we we're just diving into uh, a bit on that Craig Dickinson and. Um, Cody Fajardo narrative of the talent around them, and you were sort of going into, you know, maybe it falls more on the GM side of things. Yeah, I think it falls. It falls well, not entirely. I mean, some things that Cody Fajardo could have done better, some things that Craig Dickinson could do better, especially pertaining to discipline. But it's it's tough to it's tough to win without, uh, especially in football, ultimately a game of physics and an old game of brute force. And I mean, you don't have the personnel on the offensive line. It really limits what you can do. And I think that's on the general manager first and foremost. It wasn't a good offensive line last year. They allowed 40, uh, 40 sacks in 14 games. This year, they've allowed 51 sacks in one fewer game than they played last year. So they knew coming into the season or coming out of last season, the offensive line was needed refurbishing, and it's worse. And where does that, uh, where does that fall? Right in the lap of the general manager. One guy who I always hear brought up in discussions when I, I hear people talking about the Rough Riders is that of offensive coordinator Jason Moss. Uh, where are you on Jason and his performance so far this season? Well, I think it's almost sort of the same argument that can be used in defense of Craig Dickinson and of Cody Fajardo. And again, it goes back to that offensive line. I've got to be the most repetitive guest you've ever had on this show. <laughs> hey, I get it. <laughs> but... Uh, can you roll out your full playbook? Can you do everything you want to do when you have to scheme around uh, the imperative of getting rid of the ball probably quicker than you would like on a lot of occasions? I, I think Jason Moss has come under fire for having a very conservative, low-risk passing attack and all these short passes. And I've been one of the ones who's criticized that approach. But what are you supposed to do when you don't have time to throw and you can't comfortably think that you're going to have two and a half seconds in the pocket or three seconds when if you don't get rid, get rid of the ball in under two seconds your quarterback you might need a spatula to get your quarterback off the off the turf mm-hmm. so uh that i'm not i'm not even sure what percentage of germ of, of uh, jason moss's playbook he can comfortably call now there's some areas where i think they 
there could be an improvement. The one thing the offensive line does well is they run block, and it seems well, as soon as the Rough Riders establish the run, they tend to get away from it. It's like, okay, we've established it. That's nice. Let's throw the ball. Well, they don't. I don't think they, they really drive from the running game as much as they should. And lately on second and one, they've just gotten – they've had some mystifying calls that have led to third, third and two and third and one in back-to-back games. They haven't even taken the gimmies that are there, and this is an offense that uh, shouldn't ever uh, uh, kind of – lose sight of the fact that just get the yard if it's there because you're not good enough to be fancy. I imagine when you look for positives on this uh, offense, at least for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the play of uh, Frankie Hickson has to be near the top of it, especially coming in for Jamal Morrow. Oh, he's been tremendous. He's averaging nearly seven yards a carry, and he can he can pretty much dance and dance. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's um, if you need – if you need a breakaway run, well, he's got the speed to take one three yards for a touchdown, as he did earlier this year. He's, he's very elusive, and he's a punishing runner who often gets two or three more yards after contact. So, it, to me, he's got the entire repertoire. It's, it's something to watch. Defensively, uh, a couple of things I wanted to chat with you about heading into this game against Edmonton. Uh, I can't think of a more skilled linebacking core than the one that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders roll out on a day-to-day basis. And the one especially that Calgary fans know here well is is Darnell Sankey in the middle of that Riders defense. How has he impressed you in year one in the green and white? He's been tremendous. I'm not sure the Rough Riders have had a better player than Darnell Sankey this year from beginning to end. Uh, that's uh, I think you made a case there. The Rough Riders' three best players have been their starting line. Um, Sankey, Larry Dean, and Derek Moncrief. But Sankey in the middle has, has been as advertised. And he's uh, he can he can defend the pass, he can defend the run. He's a leader. He's uh, doing things in the community to help homeless people. I mean, just a tremendous person, a tremendous player. And uh, sometimes when you get a player that Calgary doesn't resign, that's a warning flag that Calgary doesn't resign them. Because generally, uh, if they pass judgment on a player that they don't want back, generally there's something, there's a reason why Calgary doesn't bring them back. But uh, in a case such as this, uh, Darnell Stanky's been everything the Rough Riders could have wanted and more. Uh, when you look at the Saskatchewan uh, pass rush, it's been led by Pete Robertson this year. I believe he's up to nine sacks in nine games played. Uh, how important would it be for the Riders to potentially find a running mate for him when it comes to, to rushing the quarterback? I know that that's something that's been talked about defensively for them this season. Yeah, and it's kind of, kind of an opposite of what the discussion was coming into the season, Logan, mm. because they had A.C. Leonard who led the league in sacks last year with 11 and 11 games, and a lot of the discussion was, okay, who's going to be the running mate for, for A.C. Leonard. They had Jonathan Woodard last year who had 10 sacks. He went to the National Football League. So if, who's going to replace Woodard? Who's going to be the complement to A.C. Leonard? Well, now Pete Robertson with, with nine sacks, A.C. Leonard has only three. And it's like, well, where are they going to get the, you know, when somebody going to step up and be the complement to, uh, to Pete Robertson? Now, Robertson's cooled off, but he had an ankle injury, um, missed a few games, and since then only has two sacks in five games. But he's He's still the best of the Rough Riders uh, defensive linemen. They uh, they just need somebody to kind of help him out a bit. I'm sure opposing offensive lines can pay a lot extra attention. AC Leonard presenting the kind of threat that he did last season. As far as the secondary goes, Rob, when you look at it, I, I think it's probably fair to say it's a group led by Nick Marshall. Have they lived up to expectations? Have they given the the Rough Riders enough uh, from the defensive backfield? Um, they don't make enough plays. Um, Marshall being the exception. He's a bit of a gambler, too. 
he's going he's gonna to jump a route every now and then. Sometimes he's rewarded with a touchdown, and sometimes there's a touchdown going the other way. But I think Nick Marshall is, is clearly the best of the Riders' defensive backs. Uh, Roland Milligan is a is essentially a first-year player, and he's, he's, he's been very solid. But the thing they don't get out of their defensive backs, aside from Nick Marshall, is interceptions. Linebackers have seven of the Rough Riders' 13 interceptions. Uh, Nick Marshall has three others. <clears throat> so there's only, there's only three others spread around the rest of the team. You know, Mike Adam, their starting safety, has one interception in his last 39 regular season in playoff games, and that was on a Hail Mary. So uh, they need more more playmakers in the secondary. And this is a secondary, too, that's been burnt for seven touchdowns of 50 or more yards this year, which is the, which is the highest figure in the league. So they've got some talent back there. It's generally a, a good, reputable group. But Nick Marshall aside, they don't make plays. They're very susceptible to the long pass. Rob Vanstone along with us here chatting some Riders football ahead of uh, Week 15 kicking off in the CFL uh, with the Riders and the Elks from Saskatchewan tonight. Uh, Rob, uh, I was curious what your uh, outlook would be on the Riders' opponent tonight, the Edmonton Elks. Uh, we're used to more from Chris Jones' teams, but uh, speaking of you know maybe not having as many bullets in the chamber, this sure seems like an Elks team uh, devoid of talent and a team that the Riders have had success against this year. Yeah, it's really strange, Logan, because we saw Chris Jones come over, come here to Saskatchewan to take over a, a, a Bund team in 2016. And they didn't have a great year in 2016. They won five games, and they, I think they were 1-9 and nine at one point. But as the season progressed, you could see it coming together. You could see talent coming in. You could see young talent coming in. You could see raw talent coming in. You knew Chris Jones could work with these players. And the following year, they won 10 games, and the year after that, they won 12. I don't see the same sort of arc with the Edmonton Elks. I don't see, for example, in 2016, um, <clears throat> before the season was out, Willie Jefferson shows up in Regina. I don't see the type of impact players coming in after, you know, it's, it's like almost like they treated the first 10 games as an exhibition season, and then you could see pieces coming together. I don't see any sign of improvement in, in the Elks compared to what I saw with Jones and, and the Rough Riders in his first year in 20, 2016. I just, you know they've got Duran Duran Carter playing uh, playing cornerback. Like, why isn't he one of your receivers? Mm-hmm. You know, why do you have a 31 year old experimental cornerback on a team that's rebuilding? Where and when I think, especially with Kenny Lawler out, you could probably use Duran Carter on offense. He's a tremendous talent. Uh, they they have these little projects on the go, and and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. When they when they had the projects, and we hear with players changing positions. With Chris Jones, they were primarily the younger players, not 31-year-old receiver return cornerbacks. So I just I don't see that there's a plan that's that's coming to fruition, even remotely in Edmonton. Whereas I did see that in Saskatchewan in 2016, and then 2017 we saw it all come together. When you look at the the Riders' upcoming schedule and the way things work out, I know you mentioned earlier they've got a bye next week, and it'll be a chance for them to sort of reset. But when you look at it. You know, tonight against Edmonton, bye week, and then you're back in Winnipeg. Does that sort of put a little bit more importance on tonight's matchup in your mind, Rob, to definitely pick up a win and those two points knowing that when you're back in action, you're back in a place that you haven't had a lot of success this season? And to be fair, no one's had success this season. Yeah, you got to make the layups when they're there, and that's pretty much what tonight's game comes down to. um, you know, there's not a lot of joy and glee. I think that's going to emanate from a victory over Edmonton should it materialize because it just it's all like free space. Although Edmonton can't on the road, they just don't win it. But uh, they have all three of their victories on the road, so maybe they're a little scary from that standpoint. But still, that's a game you should win. 
uh, and and uh, you know maybe going into Winnipeg on the 30th with a roster that's not as sick as it when they went to Winnipeg. Maybe there's a case to be made that they uh, maybe they need the kind of good vibe that could uh, they could extract from a from a victory. The uh, but the other side of the coin is my goodness if they lose to Edmonton tonight. I can't imagine how ugly it's going to be around here. And there's an extra week of that, for that ugliness to just uh, hover over Ryderville. Uh, I just, it would be a, not a pleasant bye week uh, for anyone because it's just a longer period for that loss to really resonate. Rob, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us uh, here in Calgary to chat some Riders football. Uh, enjoy the game tonight, and uh, hopefully as we get closer to that late series between the uh, Stampeders and the Riders here in the CFL season, we can do this again. I love it. It's great to, great to chat with you, Logan. I, I that you're a Chargers fan. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. I think we're allied in our dislike of the Chiefs and Raiders. <laughs> so we're 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 brothers in one respect. <laughs> Absolutely, Rob. I can I can get on that bandwagon pretty well. Thanks for the time today, Rob. Take care, eh? You too, Logan. Take care. Thanks. Bye. There you go, uh, Rob Vanstone, joining us from the Regina Leader Post here on the uh, Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline. A huge matchup. For the riders tonight, uh, and you don't get to see that very often, Duma. I thought that that point, you know, uh, about that bad will sort of building up that Rob mentioned there over a bye week when you've got Winnipeg on the other side mm-hmm. is something that look that can happen in those football, you know, communities like that. And you know what it's like in Regina. You've watched the CFL for a long time. Yeah. Come off a loss tonight against Edmonton and sit there for 10, 12 days ahead of a game in Winnipeg. Things can get really negative really fast for this group. Yeah, the thing that he took from that conversation with with Rob there is uh, the buzz around the team, the city. It's, that there is it's none. not there right yeah. now, and that's unheard of in in Regina and in, in the province of Saskatchewan. It's Riders game. That's you know, it's usually the only game in town. But it's like I get it. The team is not playing well. They're not like Fajardo is not well. Everybody's talking MOP for Fajardo. He's not even close. Is he even going to be there next year? Is Craig Dickinson the right guy at head coach? Jason Moss with his inconsistent offense, and it's like, just why so conservative? This is a big one for Saskatchewan. They can't, you know, be napping. Edmonton will try their damnedest tonight for sure. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those dangerous situations where if you're Chris Jones and company, and you go into tonight and say, "Screw it, we have nothing to lose. Not a day. We don't have anything to lose. Go in there tonight and upset them at home." And see what kind of impact you guys had on the rest of their season. That's that's all I would be mm-hmm. doing if I was on that elk sideline and in practice the last week and heading into tonight would be, hey, you guys have nothing to lose. Everyone's written you off already. Play spoiler a bit. Play, you know, make a name for yourself in a big game in Regina, one of the best stadiums in the CFL, and you know, really knock the riders down a peg. And for Chris Jones, it's a place he knows well. It's mm-hmm. a team that I don't think he has a ton of connections to player wise still, but he knows some of the faces, some of the names still there in Regina. I think it would mean something for him to go in there and pick up a win now that he's back in the CFL. 100%. You go into your former employer, you always want to try and stick it to him if you can. But, you know, the Elks, we know, aren't a very good team right now. And we've seen what Calgary has done to them the last two weeks. Well, really the second half of Labor Day and then all of last week. It's not a good group in Edmonton. They need something to hang their hat on. And maybe tonight a win at uh, what is a very, like, I don't know, Mosaic, is it's not the same thing as it, like, I don't it know. It doesn't have that intimidation factor right now. And I feel like that ever since the new stadium, it just isn't there. 
But overall, the team is just, this is probably the worst Riders team that they've had to view in that new stadium. So I totally get the vibe. It's just, I get it. Fans are pissed. Yeah, huge one for the Riders tonight. Uh, thanks again to Rob Vanstone for joining us uh, there to chat some Riders football. It's a massive one. You don't say that against a team like the Elks very often, but hey, lose this game, go into a bye week, and then try to walk into Winnipeg uh, where you just got handed your lunch the other week. That's not a very positive outlook. I don't care that the Riders are coming off of a bye week and have plenty of time to prepare. The Bombers are the class of the CFL right now. Haven't had much trouble with you this season. Uh, that's a very tough ask. And as we've talked about this entire year, it's such a weird schedule. The Riders and Stamps still haven't met this year. And if you're a Riders team, you don't need those games to be must-win for you late in the season. you got to get some ground covered here now. We'll see if they can. It's a 7.30 kickoff tonight from Mosaic Stadium. Tomorrow it kicks off uh, a doubleheader on Saturday. Winnipeg and Hamilton, of course, followed by the Lions and the Stampeders. Thanks to Rob for joining us. Thanks to Matt Rose for giving us a live stamp support. Remember, you want updates on the game tomorrow, you can follow Matt on Twitter, at MattRoseYYC. Uh, thank you to listening, and thank you to our tremendous producer, uh, Patrick Dumas. We're going to uh, get out of the way here for Flamestock. We'll switch things over. Excuse me, we're going to get out of here on Sportsnet today. Switch things over to Flames Talk next. Uh, it's a Calgary Flames game day, if you haven't uh, heard. Uh, it's uh, the Young Stars Classic. We're kicking things off in Penticton tonight. An 8.30 puck drop between the Flames and the Canucks. Flames hockey back on your radio later tonight. We'll uh, dive into plenty of Calgary Flames topics over the next two hours here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.